Um, it's just so nice to be back here and to see y'all. And um, yeah, a little bittersweet, you know. I, I leave tomorrow, and um, it'll be hard to, to leave you all again. Um, and uh, I, I love my new parish and, and my call, and know it's where God called, but um, but it uh, it was hard to leave you all a year and a half ago, and it will be hard to leave you all again tomorrow. So I've just been enjoying this time and enjoying food. Southern cooking is fabulous stuff. So yay, Lenten lunches. Um, and um, so uh, it's just been a joy. And I've actually got somebody from my Montana parish here. Um, Leah Colville is actually a seminarian. Um, <laughs> From um, I know Scott saw you yesterday, and it, but uh, so she is a seminarian coming out of St. Peter's and in seminary in Swanee with Robin uh, Hinkle at the moment. So, so we've got a seminary contingent here. So, um, but uh, as as I was preparing to come out, I had talked some with Elizabeth about some uh, some different uh, different topics and. Um, uh, and the, the thing that we, we kind of settled on at the end is based on uh, John 15, 15. This moment in the Last Supper when Jesus turns to the apostles and said, I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. So my question for today and my topic is really, are you friends with Jesus? What is your relationship with him? And, you know, this is one of those questions that even as a priest, I don't ask myself very often. And when it was asked of me once, it kind of stopped me in my tracks because it's not something I've thought about a lot. And it's kind of a complex question, because um, I think our relationship with Christ always needs to resemble the cross in both horizontal and vertical aspects. So on the one hand, our relationship with Jesus, we always need to remember that he is first and foremost God the Son, our Lord and our Savior. And that's that vertical aspect. But there's also the horizontal aspect that we see Jesus mentioning himself in, in this reading from John 15. He is also our adopted brother. And he now calls us friends. He is our friend. And um, so to keep those pieces in balance can be a real challenge for us. Um, I think that we tend to see often that we fall one way or the other. Um, you get folks that really view Jesus, you know, purely sort of as friend, or as I was reading in a book recently, this tendency in North American culture to pretend that Jesus is our boyfriend. Um, and there's problems with that. Um, but there's also sometimes the tendency to only focus on the vertical, um, that he's just so... Um, we only remember him as God and forget that he's God incarnate. 
Um, and that can also lead to some, some problems in our ability to have a relationship, to live into the relationship that he calls us into as our Lord. And that's the thing where we start, remembering that in baptism, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we are baptized into his death and resurrection, we are in relationship with him. You know, as we say in baptisms, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. We are now permanently, indelibly in a relationship with the Lord. What does that relationship look like? And I think it's um, sometimes because in baptism we're brought into the family, um, because this is a relationship with a person that we don't see, although we know him, we don't necessarily, I can't, you know, hold his hand, um, I think it's easy for us um, to treat it kind of like a family member that lives really far away. And I don't know about y'all, but sometimes it's easy when you've got family members that live far away to kind of let those relationships sort of atrophy. We don't really tend to them. We, we send Christmas cards with a little note, but, but we're not really checking in. And so then when the family does, you know, finally get together, you kind of are like, we don't have a lot to talk about. Um, or um, in our own friendships with each other, have you ever had a friend that you haven't seen for a few years? And if you're not making that sort of effort to maintain that relationship, it can be really easy to just lose touch. And then something precious, that special relationship, kind of just falls to the wayside. Well, I think we can have a tendency to do that with our relationship with the Lord. Because he is God, which means sometimes he feels very, very far away. But we always have to remember that God the Son became man and dwelt among us. He is incarnate. He is in the flesh. And why? Well, because ultimately God so much wanted to have a relationship with us that he gave up heaven to come and hang out with us which is remarkable when you stop and think about it. Think about it in these terms, because sometimes, you know, that becomes, it's really two-dimensional, and we don't really think about it. Think about, the, think about it in this way. Let's say um, Prince William and Princess Kate so want to get to know you all that they give up their palace in England, and they move into the, one of the apartments in Park Place over here, because they want to hang out with you and get to know you. Would you not think that was pretty remarkable? Would you not want to have them sit at your table for Lenten lunches? Would you not want to invite them over? Actually, I'd be kind of embarrassed serving them Rice Krispies, but you all can cook, so you would want to have them over um, and have that time with them because they had given up all of that to hang out with you. You would put a lot of effort then into that relationship. Well, make that exponentially greater. God, the Son, gave up heaven with all the cherubim to hang out with you because he so wants to know you and he so wants you to know him.
do we tend to that relationship? Um, and if God values spending time with us that much, what, are, what is our approach to that relationship? Well, and I think certainly during Lent, it's a time to really stop and consider that. Um, we're called, you know, as we remember in the Ash Wednesday service, to this time of self-examination and repentance. And I know oftentimes I tend to approach that very much with this sort of, okay, well, I was bad with this, and so, okay, I'm sorry, God, about having done that wrong. And um, I didn't do this, and I'm sorry, God, I didn't do that. But um, I read a great quote recently that said, at some level, the essence of sin is broken relationship with God. And so part of what we are called to do as we self-examine in this period of Lent is to ask this question, not just my laundry list of things that I did or didn't do right, but fundamentally, how is my relationship with God? Because where do we get the strength to be the people that he wants us to be? From him. I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So fundamentally, what's our relationship? Um, and so this time to, to examine that and to return to God. If it's been a while since you've talked to him, maybe now is the time to kind of pick up that spiritual phone and check in with the Lord. If it's been a while since you've read scriptures, maybe it's time to pick up the love letter that the Lord left you and remember what he has to say to you. Um, and so this chance to tend to our relationship with the Lord. And I am going to tell you that we all go through dry times. We all, I'm sure, maybe some of you haven't, but for my life I can tell you that I have had periods in my life where I have so neglected my relationship with the Lord that if he had walked up to me and spit in my eye, I wouldn't have recognized him. I don't think Jesus does that, but he probably should have kicked me in the pants. Um, so, uh, and, and um, I, I want to share a little bit about one of the really dry times in my life and then talk about how I kind of refound that relationship and how it also, how my relationship with Jesus changed coming out of this dry time in my life. And it, it started, this, this sort of really sad period started because I was so busy working for God that I forgot to have a relationship with God. And again then, you know, as, as you all know, when we start doing that and we're trying to work out of our own power, when we're trying to do it all on our own merit, sooner or later, we've got nothing left because we aren't grafted into the vine at that point. It's not his life flowing through us. And I've only got so many resources, and when they're gone, they're gone, unless I am refilling from God. And so I had really gotten busy working for God. And, you know, the devil's smart. One of the ways he often undermines our relationship with the Lord is in ways like that. We're so busy doing what we think we ought to be doing, earning our gold stars in heaven, that we actually forget what it's all about, <laughs> um, and we forget whose work it really is, and then we fall on our swords, and this is what had happened to me. And, and again, the devil's smart. It's like a frog boiling in water. I didn't wake up one morning and just suddenly decide I didn't want a relationship with Jesus. It started subtly, got busy. Lots of things going on, doing ministry in the evenings, 
which meant I'm just too busy to have time for evening prayer. And that went on a while. And then I got started getting really tired. And so I'm going to skip my evening prayer time before bed with the Lord because I'm tired. And then that started spilling over into the morning. Well, I'm just going to sleep an extra 10 minutes. I'm working really hard. I'm being such a good Christian. I don't have time to do morning prayer. I don't have time to either read God's word to me or to, or to pray at this point. So I'm just not, you know, I'm just going to skip that. Until I realized I really was not only not talking to God, I was exhausted because my, my resources were completely depleted. How am I supposed to share the gospel when I'm not even spending time with the word anymore? How am I supposed to share the good news when mostly I'm just grumpy at God because I'm busy? Well, this was kind of where I had uh, the, the sort of the point in my life that I had reached. And um, my poor husband had to live with me. I was really grumpy. And I was like, oh, I have to go do this now. And he's like, you get to be a priest. Shut up. And, um, and fortunately, I had a retreat scheduled. And so off I trundled to this great little retreat center. And um, as, as part of my preparation for the retreat center, they had had me um, you know, think about, did I want just quiet time or did I want to have a spiritual director? And I really knew at this point I needed a spiritual director at this point, somebody to kind of help, you know, pull me out of my pity party. And, um, and so they said, well, here's our spiritual directors, you know, with their little bios, you know, who appeals to you. And I wrote back on my form, because this is the way I roll, I would like your most direct, meanest person. <laughs> Because being a Marine, I respond well to, you know, the pull your socks up recruits, aye aye sir. So anyway, so I get to the retreat center and find that they have assigned me this um, fabulous Irish nun from the Jesuit tradition. <laughs> Every now and then I need a scary nun in my life <laughs> and I got one. And so I show up my first day, and I get there, and I have a meeting with her that afternoon. And we gather, and we pray for a while. And then she says, well, you know, what's sort of your hope for your time at the retreat center? And I just went on my big old, you know, laundry list of boo-hoos, and I'm grumpy about this, and this is wrong, and blah, 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 blah. Well, finally, she just kind of stopped me and told me to shut up, and she reminded me, you know, this is a privilege to serve God. Um, so she, she looked me in the eyes, and she said, go take a nap. I'll see you tomorrow, So, which is what I needed. So I went away, and I took a nap, and the next day we came back, and um, and she really started digging into some of the things that I had sort of unburdened from the day before. And after we talked through some of that for a time, she asked me a couple of questions that have become my thermometer for my relationship with the Lord. And these are questions now that with some regularity I come back to because they are really telling about whether or not I'm really in relationship with Christ or whether I'm just busy working for him. 
And so the first question that she asked me was this, how do you see Jesus? What's your relationship with him? Who is he to you? How do you see Jesus? And her question kind of stopped me in my tracks. Because I could answer that question immediately with the very sound and true answer. Jesus is the Christ, God the Son incarnate, my Lord and my Savior, which is absolutely true and something that I take great comfort in. But she looked at me and she said, now I know the seminary answer. Who is he to you? And what she was getting at there is what is your personal relationship with Christ? Because she wanted me to go beyond just the right answer to really where my heart was with the Lord. And it really kind of stopped me, and I had a hard time answering it. And I kind of tap danced around a little bit, and she sent me away to pray about it for a while. And I realized that because of this dry time, because I had stopped engaging with Jesus in, in scripture and prayer, that I had come to see Jesus as my commanding officer, as my boss, which he is. But see, here's the thing, is that he was my commanding officer that I didn't like very much. He was the boss that I had come to view as having given me this impossible task in ministry and then hanging me out to dry. And I didn't like him. How do you do ministry when you don't like the Lord? How sad that I had let my relationship with him deteriorate to the point that I had forgotten who he really was and was just approaching him like somebody that I once knew and didn't like that much. That's kind of the sad truth of where I had sort of sunk of what has brought me to this lowly state. Well, the fact that I wasn't, didn't want a relationship with him at that time. And I had forgotten that he was my life that he is the lifeblood that runs through me, that runs through my ministry, because I had neglected that relationship. So that was a hard answer. That's a hard thing to have to admit. It's a particularly hard thing for a priest to have to admit, that that's how we're kind of looking at the Lord. So the next question that she asked, though, was this. How do you think Jesus sees you. Okay, again, I can give the perfectly correct and true answer. Jesus sees me as a sinner who has been redeemed by his blood. Again, truth. I take huge comfort in that fact. But she pushed me again and she said, yes, that's true. But if you were hanging out with him, how do you think he sees you? And again, the hard answer that I finally had to admit to was, I think that Jesus looks at me and he is just 
totally disappointed and disgusted with me. And again, that's kind of hard. And it also, you know, failed to take into consideration that, the, that the God loved me so much, he sent his only begotten son to give his life on the cross for me. That doesn't mean he, that I'm not a sinner, but it does mean that I had this very negative relationship with Jesus. It was, I had completely, really overlooked grace. I had overlooked redemption. Um, and this was where the point that I was. And that self-examination, admitting this, was the point when I could finally turn, repent, and turn back to God. Up to that point, I had just been kind of shoving all this down and didn't want to see it because it's embarrassing. And as a priest, of course, I'm supposed to have all of the answers. And the answers aren't supposed to look like that. But finally admitting that sin is the point where I could turn back to him. And that's why this questions, these questions can be important for us because it's the moment when we can really be honest with ourselves and take off the masks of holiness and say, God, I need you to help me because this is where I am. And this is not where I want to be. I want to be in relationship with you. And so this was kind of my first step there with those two questions. After that, Sister Eileen gave me my homework. And my homework is a method of using, of praying with the scriptures um, that uh, a guy by the name of Ignatius um, worked with and, uh, and developed. Now, for those of you that don't know, Saint Ignatius um, is one of my favorites. Um, because he was military before he became a priest, and I'm kind of down with that. So, um, and he, it's also very sort of structured, which again, I like because, you know, my military mind. Um, but um, this scripture was really, really important to St. Ignatius. And a relationship with Jesus was really important to St. Ignatius. And so when he founded his order, um, and he's the founder of the Jesuits, actually. Um, what was really important for him was that um, the people that, uh, that, that, that took those orders and became monastics in, as Jesuits, that they would A, know their scriptures really, really well. And that they would be spending massive amounts of time every day reading and praying with the scriptures. And that those scriptures would become real for folks. Not just two-dimensional. Sometimes, you know, you read scripture and it's kind of two-dimensional, isn't it? Okay, I checked that box. I did that reading long ago and far away. Well, Ignatius wanted his folks to really engage with the scriptures and to really, in them, then come into relationship with Jesus Christ. And so um, this, this method of using... Um, this method of using the, the scriptures is what Sister Eileen sent me away with to work with. And um, I'm going to share it with you today because it is something that has really um, transformed my relationship with the Lord. And it's something that is really helpful for me in, in those dry times in my own spiritual life. When I just kind of don't have any energy 
to really make it go on my own, I come back to what's foundational, which is God's word. And so um, what's being handed out now is kind of the little uh, Cliff Notes version of this form of prayer. Um, and so um, first of all, what Ignatius uh, would have us do is from the Gospels, pick a passage where Jesus is interacting with people. So he's either talking to them, or he's, there's maybe a healing, or they're walking along the road. Um, this doesn't work so well with the teaching passages, per se. Um, but, uh, but again, you know, um, what, what works for you. But start with a passage where Jesus is interacting with people. And then you read the passage through. What's, what's going on? What was going on in that original context with this? Um, and, you know, if you've all got study Bibles, read your notes on that so you know what is actually taking place in it. Because it was important for Ignatius that we not sort of make this up as we go. We need to be faithful to the, God, to the Word of God. So know what's going on in it. And then reread it again. And you guys all know that I have the movies in my head, right? When I read scripture, it's the movie in my head. Well, what Ignatius would have us do is as we read that passage, um, put yourself in that movie. Um, I, for example, maybe it's a passage where um, Jesus is, say, healing a paralytic. Put yourself in that passage. Maybe you're the paralytic. Maybe you're his friends who dug through the roof to lower him down to Jesus. Maybe you're one of the apostles and you're walking on the road to Jerusalem with Jesus. Maybe you're the Samaritan woman at the well. And put yourself in that passage and read it through. You know, um, for Ignatius, he really did have the movies in his mind. So he, for example, would think about, like, is it hot? You know, how thirsty am I? Um, do my feet hurt? <laughs> you don't have to go that far if you don't want to. Um, but the big point is, you're walking along the road. You're the paralytic being healed. What would you ask Jesus? What would you say to him? What would you share with him? What would you want to know? And then listen for what Jesus may reply to you. Now here I'm going to tell you, be careful that you don't make Jesus in your own image. Be faithful to the scriptures. We know the Lord. You know, and one of the things that's, I think, really easy in North America for us to do with this type of method is to do the Jesus is a fluffy bunny thing, and you all know I hate that big time. Jesus is not a fluffy bunny. He, you know, he is, he is the Lord who will say to the Samaritan woman, I know you've got five husbands, and the one you're with now, he ain't your husband. Shape up, lady. You know, um, or to James and John, no, no, we're not going to destroy that city. Sit down and be quiet. So, um, so we know he's not Fluffy Bunny. Um, but this is a method that can put us in dialogue with the Lord. And most of all, first of all, it reminds us that Jesus is not two-dimensional. Jesus is real. He wants to have a real relationship with us. And this method can help us remember that. Um, it can help us remember that Jesus really walked along dusty roads in Judea. 
It can help us remember that Jesus had real conversations with Peter and James and John. It can help us remember that although we don't get to walk a dusty road with him, that Jesus is still present with us. It reminds us that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to be with us and to remind us of all that he taught us, to remind us of what he promised, that he would be with us always, even to the end of the age. This is who he is, and he wants to be in relationship with us. So um, kind of imagine that. What would you ask him? And then listen for what he is saying to us. As one of the ladies at the early uh, talk said, um, you know, yeah, we sometimes have that, uh, that uh, tendency to monologue at God. God, I need you to do this, and I need you to do that, and then you should do this for me, and you should do me this, and, you know, and we don't bother to listen to what he's actually telling us. Um, this is a method where we are really being cognizant of listening for what Jesus is telling us. And again, don't make him fluffy bunny, because a lot of times, whether we like it or not, Jesus tells us no. Jesus, I want you to give me a Mercedes-Benz like Janice Joplin. Nope. <laughs> you know, Jesus, I'd like you to have him get and open me a parish in Jamaica. <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, so um, be, be true to what Scripture says, and then listen for what he's telling you. And here, um, you know, Deborah pointed out at the early coffee as well, um, we don't get to be Jesus in these scenes, okay? Um, we are not Jesus. Um, so, you know, we're the Samaritan woman, or we're Peter, or we're just a bystander in the crowd, maybe. Um, and, uh, but we are listening for what he has to say to us. We're, we're getting to be with him on the road. And the first passage that Sister Eileen gave me at this sort of crisis point in my life was actually... Um, just uh, that small passage when, uh, if you remember, Jesus had sent the disciples out in pairs to go do ministry, and they came back and they wanted to share with him what they'd been doing. And that was the passage that she gave me to start with. And she said, what would you tell him? What help would you ask for him from him? What guidance would you want to seek from him as you do your ministry? Um, and it was really this epiphany moment for me. You know, one of the funny things with me is I'm really hard-headed. <laughs> like the children of Israel, I am a stiff-necked people. Um, God has to teach me the same lessons over and over, and thanks be to God for his amazing grace and mercy that he does. Um, because a lot of this stuff we kind of already know, but we forget. But it, my epiphany moment was, Jesus is really with me in my ministry if I just ask him. He's got advice for me and encouragement for me in my ministry if I just ask him, if I listen for what he's saying. And so that was the passage that really was so, um, really turning around for me and remembering that he's there for me. Now, for, for you all, it may be a different kind of passage that's really important for where you may be. Um, and at the bottom of that page there, you'll see I've given some recommendations 
None of them may apply. Some of them may. You know, maybe you're having problems trusting the Lord right now. You know, there are passages about trust. There are passages about healing. And remember, when Jesus heals, it's not just physical, it's spiritual. Um, and so maybe there's a passage there that would speak to you about that. Um, you know, maybe you just need some encouragement. Maybe you're not sure about your call. So these are just a, like a little cross-section, but, but, you know, you can all find your own that would really resonate with you. And then put yourself in it. And then, um, and then, you know, you can keep coming back to those two questions. And for me, when I put myself in that time of talking with Jesus, when I started asking those questions again, my answer had changed. And I remembered that Jesus wasn't just some like really terrifying boss who had given me an impossible task, but that he was the one who called me, the one who commissioned me, the one who calls me friend because he has taught me what the Father gave to him and has asked me to then share that and pass that on. My relationship with him changed. He helped me turn around and return to him. Which leads me to now what is my touchstone passage, or what Marva Dawn calls a foundational scripture passage. It's from John chapter 21. This is one of the post-resurrection appearances, um, and uh, it's, um, it's with Peter. And it is related specifically to the fact that if you remember the, um, on Good Friday, remember what Peter did three times? He denied Jesus three times. And here in chapter 21, um, Jesus makes him take a long, hard look um, at himself, calls him to repent, and then forgives him and commissions him to do his work. And this really has become my foundational passage. And by that I mean a passage of scripture that the Lord really um, puts on your heart um, a passage that really becomes kind of a touchstone for your life. Uh, not everybody has one necessarily. Some people have a couple. Um, this is the one that has become really important for me. Um, and I love that because um, when I was in Israel a few years ago with Alan Ross, this was not the trip where Scott fell out of the tree. <laughs> Didn't get to go on that trip. The one before that... Um, <laughs> um, the um, uh, Alan Ross um, asked if I would be willing to celebrate the Eucharist at one of one of the places in Israel that we stopped, and the place that I ended up um, celebrating um, was here on the Sea of Galilee uh, at the church that is built on the site where this encounter between Jesus and Peter occurred. So it had special um, special resonance for me because of that. But then um, coming out of this time in my life, this has really become my touchstone passage. So John 21, beginning in verse 15. And when Jesus and the disciples had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. This is the passage that I always come back to when I'm struggling, specifically struggling in my ministry. Um, because what we see here are a couple things I've already talked about. First of all, Jesus is not fluffy bunny. Jesus calls Peter to genuine self-examination or repentance for his threefold denial. He doesn't just let him off the hook. We have to repent and return to the Lord. But Peter does. And here is what I love about it and why this is so special to me. I have been Peter. I have failed miserably in my ministry. When I return to the Lord, Jesus says, you're forgiven. And remember that in Jesus, his forgiveness is total. Unlike humans, we tend to hold grudges, right? I forgive you, but I got my eye on you because <laughs> I don't trust you. <laughs> Here's the great news about Jesus. When he forgives, it's as though it never were. It is washed whiter than snow in the blood of, his, uh, the blood of the Lamb shed on the cross. And there's that great line that I love from the Lord of the Rings. It's as have all sad things come untrue. That's how much it is that all that sad, all my failures, when I repent and return to the Lord, they are so untrue that Jesus will look at me again and in spite of the fact I am a complete failure, he says, feed my sheep. I completely recommission you to go out and feed my sheep and not with some, you know, like, well, okay, you, you were terrible, so now all you are allowed to do is bring water to real priests. You know, you can only be the ball boy now. He doesn't tell Peter, well, you have to take now, you know, you're not one of the apostles anymore. You know, you've got to take a, you know, seat at the back here. You know, he, feed my sheep. Fully recommissioned to share the good news. And, and you know what's so wonderful is that Peter, because of this, went out and did what? How many people were converted his first sermon after Pentecost? Y'all remember? Like 3,000. Well, why is that? Well, because Peter so understood now Jesus' total forgiveness and total recommissioning that he, better than most, could go out and say, repent, because when you do, you are fully brought back in. And what good news that is. And so this is my touchstone passage. And I run this movie in my head when I fall on my sword, when I fail in my ministry, knowing that Jesus says the same things to me when we really repent. God's word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It will cut us to the core. But it also cuts the sin out so that we can be commissioned to begin anew. And it speaks to us today just as it did to Peter back then when we're faithful to the process. And so, um, you know, your touchstone passage may be something different. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know. But here's my question again. 
Are you in relationship with Jesus, really? Are you spending time with him? Are you listening to him? And are you really talking to him? I think sometimes as Christians, we have that tendency to forget that he is real, that he wants to be with us, that he wants to spend time with us, and that we can really talk to him. And we start just using all of the right prayer book words, or we start just not talking to him at all. And then we start to die on the vine. Jesus wants to have a relationship with each one of you. He wants that so much he gave up heaven to be with you, and he died to be with you. What's our relationship with him? Do we tend it? How do you see Jesus? How do you think Jesus sees you? And spend time with him. He's given us his word. And remember, word with a little w is the Bible, but he's also word with a big W, who is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so my prayers for you all this Lent and always going forward is tend that relationship Know how much he loves you. Know that he calls you friend and that he counts that relationship so dear. And return to him because you know what? He's got work for us all to do. And he doesn't call us servants, but he calls us friends because we know everything that he shared with us from the Father for our own lives and then to take that out into the world. And you know, my friends, Advent is a city on a hill shining in the darkness of an apostate world. Take it out. Remember you're his friends and share it. Be the friend to the rest of the world like the friend he is to you. So, amen.